play of words with Spanish because it's products that are kind to you and also that you can love. I really like that. Amable. Hello and welcome to the One Team Gov Show, a podcast featuring conversations with awesome people doing interesting stuff in the public sector. Today, we're so excited to be recording at the One Team Gov Global Event in London, where over 700 public sector reformers from around the world have come together to share, teach and inspire practical action on an international scale. My name is Kylie. And I'm Kamala. And today we're talking with Pablo Fernandez Vallejo, service designer at LabGovR, the Argentinian government lab. Welcome, Pablo. Hi, good to be here. As Kylie said, you're at the One Team Gov Global Conference. How's it been for you so far? It's been amazing. It's the very first unconference which I have with this format. It's full of people from all around the world and it's been super cool. That's really, really good to hear. How did you first get started in public service, Pablo? I'm a designer by trade and I always wanted to move into public sector. That opportunity came kind of by chance. Last year, I heard of this laboratory of government in Argentina opening up. I was actually living outside of the country at that time. And then I started contacting people I knew in government doing stuff around there. And then eventually one thing led to the other. And I ended up returning to Argentina to join the team earlier this year. You said that you were working in design. Whereabouts was that? I have a background in industrial design. And I worked for a few years as a UX designer, as a user experience designer at an Argentinian software consultancy firm. Then I took a break for about a year and a half or two to finish a master's in interdisciplinary design, which I started in Argentina, and then I moved to Berlin. So I quit my job when I moved to Berlin. And then I was in the transition of going back to work. I thought it was going to be back to the private sector. Then eventually this came up, so I ended up in government. Apart from the obvious, i.e. it being the coolest city in the world, what made you want to move to Berlin? Apart from that, I think it was a really cool program that I was doing on how designers can interface or work with other disciplines, which I think it's not necessarily a course on designing public sector or service design, but I think it's one of the core competences you need to have to reform government or to create amazing services is how do you interface and work with people that have a completely different mindset than the one you have. So that's why I chose that program. First a program, then the city, but it all came out really well. So you now work in service design. What is it that makes service design different from other types of design? Service design is much more focused on the process and the relationship you create with your partner, not so much on the end result or the end product. I think it's like a transition from graphic design or industrial design that were purely focused on the outcome. UX started transition towards a process that was not so the end result in the middle. And for service design, I think there's no service design if you are not working with your partner, you're not creating capacity and you're not involving them in the creation of your service. It involves a lot of cultural change and capacity building along the way. You've worked in some really cool cities, so Berlin and Argentina. Is there anything you feel about working in different cities has shaped the type of work that you do? Living in many cities, both for work or study, really makes you be a very empathetic person, someone who really needs to see just the details in people because maybe you don't fully understand the language or maybe just because you are with your senses in a very high sensitivity mode. That builds up 
at least in my personal history, a character of trying to really make sure that everybody's on board with what's going on and kind of having this attitude that we should all be in the same boat for it to move forward. Part of it came from working in different cultural contexts. What was it that made you want to move back to Argentina after being in Berlin? Well, for me, it was not an easy choice because my life was going in that direction in a sense. But working in public sector was a personal goal of mine for a long time. I didn't really thought I was going to do it in Argentina first, but then the opportunity came and it was very, very hard to refuse that. It's a pleasure and it's an honor to be able to do that in my home country. So you moved back and you're now working for LabGovR. Can you tell us a bit more about that? The Argentinian Government Lab, it's hosted at the heart of the Ministry of Modernization, which is a ministry which in itself has commissioned to reform government. So it mostly serves other ministries or other areas of government. And the laboratory in itself has three legs. One of them has to do with capacity building through training public servants, another one involved with creating a community of innovative uh, public servants, and then the third one is the one working with projects, which is where I work. So we basically are a consultancy firm inside of the government, working for different ministries, mostly on themes of high social relevance to some degree. But yeah, that's what we do. We're a very small group of people with very diverse backgrounds and life paths. But it's a really, really cool group of people. And we're working really hard to do it. It's difficult because of the scale of the mission, of course. We cannot transform government by ourselves, but we are learning along the way how to make scale and impact. It really reminds me of the place where I work, so the Canadian Digital Service. We're also just starting the center of government. We're doing a lot of that kind of consultancy, like you described. Mm -hmm. But for me, as it sounds like for you, the interest is really in projects Mm -hmm. and seeing what comes out of that. Do you have any cool projects you're working on right now? We're working with job fair for unemployed young people. It's bigger than for the general population, 18 to 24. And there is traveling job fair throughout the country, trying to adapt to, to the local conditions. So it's moving from city to city. And we are working with them to create new ways to reach the right audience, the right target of people, and then to increase the level of engagement that they have. It's a project I really like because of the level of involvement we can get from partners. It's super high, which is really good. The kind of consultancy we do does not work if we are like a flying saucer that comes in and then leaves a project and then goes away. Those kind of things might be cool for a reunion, but we'll never probably get through implementation. Once we get a cool relationship with our partners and once we work with them and they make the ideas and then they choose the challenges and they are there in the kitchen with us, there's a much higher chance of having those things implemented. It's still in the making. It's a work in progress project, but it's one that I'm really hopeful for. When you're working with your partners, presumably at some point you do the piece of work with them and then it's theirs to carry on. How does that process work? Well, that's still something we're we're working on. It's not really solved. Again, it's this thing of creating capacity along the way. We find it challenging to have our exit of the projects when there is technological work involved. Basically, if we help them build something that is crucial for implementation and they are not able to take ownership of that, it's difficult to retreat from those kind of projects. A trade-off between helping them get there, but at the same time, not making yourself absolutely necessary for that. Because in the end, our mission is not to implement with them, it's to help them get there. We're still working on that. 
again, sounds similar where in Canadian Digital Service, we're thinking a lot about what that handover process looks mm-hmm. like and some of our early experiences. It's probably the biggest challenge is mm-hmm. how do you manage that transition of us working with you and empower them to continue it. Are there any other challenges you're facing at LabGovR? One of them that I am very fond of discussing in this place is how we cannot really import the discourse or the narrative of innovation in government. Sometimes we see a lot of really cool examples of other labs in the world or other people working with this, and we find them very inspiring. And then when we try to use them on everyday work with our partners, it really doesn't translate all that well because of cultural differences, because of a whole bunch of different things. You just cannot import what someone else is doing and then try to apply it not just because of language or culture, because in Argentina, public servants want to see examples from Latin America or in Spanish that they can really relate to. That works in Denmark. They will say, oh, yeah, that's cool, but that's Denmark. That's not the reality we have. So we are in the process of making our own narrative. And I think that's something many of us also struggle with because we come from private sector, from highly globalized sectors like UX or customer experience, where we either work with clients somewhere else, or we are used to speak with language or with themes, part in English and part in Spanish or things like that. And then when we enter public service, we really need to make an adaptation process to build a new language we can share and use with our partners. With your international experience, do you see any similar trends? We've talked about how organizations often see themselves as quite unique. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of us have learned is that, especially through events like this, that there Mm -hmm. is a lot of commonality. One that I love just happened this morning. I've been thinking lately a lot about how we deal with failure. This whole discourse of failing is good because it takes you to a better result, especially coming from the startup universe. I don't see it sticking at all in my context in the public sector in Argentina to talk about, no, failing can be good because you can learn and get you there. It really does not work because they say, this is the people's lives. We don't have time for that. But then when I proposed this conversation here, and then we had a really cool conversation with people from all around the globe about how we deal with failure in our governments, and it is really similar. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of time to deal with it or if you are hurried up by political timelines or things like that. You have this layer of politicians that where failure is really not an option in the same way as changing your opinion is not an option for them. Or into people doing policymaking where for them also making a mistake is not an option. And it was really cool because you can find really a lot of commonalities on how public service see failure in Argentina or in Sweden or the UK. It was a really cool conversation. You talk a lot about building bridges across other disciplines, and that's something that one team of is very much about. How do you do that in practice? Being respectful of other people's knowledge, not putting them in boxes. A lot of times you already have an idea of what someone will do based on their discipline. You assume that because they are coming from tech, they can do one thing or the other. But of course, we can all contribute from our discipline going way beyond our skill set. We come from different mindsets and, and having different mindsets in the room really makes the whole thing better. Being respectful to other people's opinions. At the same time, not using slang from your discipline. Sometimes there will be a process where maybe as a service designer, you are in power of making decisions and you have to use it wisely not to say, now I'm the ruler, I'm a tyrant, and now I'm going to say how it is. Tomorrow, of course, your tech will be guiding or leading an initiative and tomorrow, uh, the day after, will be someone else. And it's your responsibility to always try to make it an inclusive environment where all disciplines feel that they can contribute not just by the terms of the one that is leading the initiative. 
You talked earlier about how you were really excited to go back to Argentina to serve in the public sector. Since joining, is there anything that really drives you nuts or frustrates you about working in government? Oh, yeah, of course. I would say worst thing has been how the velocity of projects really changes from time to time. It can be really hurried up because for some reason it's a priority and then it will stop for a while and then it will start again. It's difficult to create a reasonable timeline or pipeline of projects when they are turning on and off in no predictable pattern. I would say that that's one of the most challenging things because it forces you to divide yourself among different projects and really try to work out a reasonable timeline for you to work with. It's not easy to predict or to plan when projects sometimes get slowed down or hurried up by, by decisions you don't fully control or understand. Yeah, definitely. Frustration with pace has absolutely been a theme of a lot of the guests on the podcast. That seems to be a real challenge internationally. One of the biggest struggles often faced by people in government is being able to speak to users. Have you ever had any problems trying to speak to users and how do you convince people around you that it's worthwhile? That's a super good question. I'm in London because also I'm not here just for the one team go, but tomorrow I'm participating in the Designing Government Conference. So I'll be sharing a talk on some of this kind of things, uh, learnings or thoughts on doing this kind of work in Argentina. And actually, one of the talking points is precisely about this. For us, getting to the ground is very difficult, especially being a national government on a federal country makes you very far from implementation. Many times you have to go through a province like we have or a subnational administration that will make the link for you. You have to be very creative on how you get to the ground. And sometimes we do so by finding partners who can facilitate that, could be even NGOs or things that really have access to the territory, which we can leverage on to have access to users. So that's something we've been experimenting with so as not to really slow down the whole process. The federal and state divide has been an interesting theme on the podcast. It's obviously something that we don't really have that much of in the UK, so that's always really interesting to hear about. So good that you're doing a talk on this exact topic tomorrow. Do you have any good stories about where you've changed course after talking with users? One that we really loved was the one with the job fair for the youth project. Because it was for young people, young men and women that they neither studied or work. It was a sense when you talk about that theme inside of the ministry that it maybe it was because they didn't want to work or it was like kind of lazy. This vision you have of young people preferring to do other stuff other than studying or work. And then when we did our research, we found very inspiring life stories of people that actually worked a lot, but they were working black, not you know, registered for work. Really a lot of stories of some degree of exploitation or really a lot of frustration with the world of work. We can record their voices and then bring them back with pictures and stuff like that to the ministry. And it was very inspiring to see people that maybe had a different vision to see almost firsthand their users are, which is probably a much different vision that they initially thought. I imagine that a lot of the work we do is not just about building things, but also about changing misconceptions of users within government. You talk on your website about creating kind products. That sounds like a hard sell to do. Can you tell us a bit about how you approach that? A play of words with Spanish because it's products that are kind to you and also that you can love. 
Amable, lovable product, and also kind to you. It's mostly an approach of working with products or services that are respectful to you, that are fun or easy to interact with. A way of dealing with things that even with serious stuff, you can also be at least 5% playful and nice while doing it. And I think that's something I try to bring to every project that I do or that I work with. I really like that. Amable, kind products. So we're here looking out over the Wanting Gov conference. Mm-hmm. How's it been for you so far? So far, it's been amazing and even better than I expected. I've been to unconferences before, which was a slightly different format. The talks were decided on the same day. But this is more like a forum, more like having conversations between people, which I think it's very interesting. I came all the way here to London to have a sense of where people in the public sector all around the world think about stuff, what are the main challenges we have, and what the conversation is. So this very horizontal conversation, I find it really cool. I was talking with people on failure, which for me is a very fascinating topic on public sector, but there's also conversations on AI or what does it mean to create a cool service when working in government. And the cool thing about it is that there are conversations among people and it's a very open space to talk about it. And I met people from Singapore to Finland to Mexico to, of course, the UK. It's really cool to be here. Favorite session so far? It doesn't count as a session, but the um, way of distributing themes, each person created a theme and then you pass it around and then you discuss it with someone else and you were assigning points to every theme. You were discussing five different themes with five different people over half an hour or so. And that was a really cool way of both distributing themes and networking. So I really liked that. You're really into different cities and you've lived in quite a few cool ones, as we've discussed so far. What's your favorite city and why? I will always say Buenos Aires. I love my city very much. It's a very unique place. I love something about every city I lived in. Buenos Aires, for me, it's a magical place to be. The challenges of being a 15 million people city in Latin America and the history of having 10th oldest metro system in the world. A lot of contrast, a lot of challenge, but a lot of stuff to work with. You're a designer. Designers always have views on interfaces. What's your favorite user interface and why? If I had to choose one, it would probably be N26, the bank here in Europe. It's a digital bank because of the contrast of hating banks online so much. And then going to one that really works and makes you relate with money in a much more positive way. Everyone at MOJ, where Kylie and I used to work, used to bank with Monzo because it was just such a beautiful user experience. The podcast is not sponsored by Monzo. We're just saying this off the bat. And it totally changed my feeling about banking. I really empathize with that. On the flip side, could you give an example of a product or interface that you hate and why? Yeah, I'm going to go into the polemic part of the conversation, maybe, but the interface with the UK and the border, boy, I hate that interaction. It's really, really unpleasant. I was just talking to my girlfriend who is with me in London. If you think of a trip as a journey and the lowest point of a journey for me by far is actually entering to the country and having your passport stamped. Uh, questioning and everything, it really makes me feel uncomfortable. Maybe it's because I'm coming from Latin America. We have that fear for that somehow ingrained into our being. So even though you're coming from a conference and everything is cool, everything around you still makes you feel uncomfortable. 
And that's something that I think could be designed better. That's a great answer. I think we've all had that experience at one time or another. What session are you looking forward to at the International Design Conference? One that I'm really looking forward to is how to make change without a mandate. That one I'm really interested in. It's something we suffer to some degree because we don't have a specific mandate to reform government. So we have to do it guerrilla style, going sideways into different ministries and doing it on a case-by-case basis. And then I'm attending workshops by the Policy Lab from UK, which I'm very interested in. We're more in the service part of design world, but not so much in the policy making. Really interesting to see how that works here in the UK and also from FutureGov. I've followed them for quite a while and I'm looking forward to that as well. One of our guests earlier today was actually the director of FutureGov in Australia. Very nice. Have you got any exciting social plans whilst you're in London? Well, I've never been to the Design Museum here in London. I want to do that. Also, I have time the Museum of Transport. Probably just walk around London. You've come at the perfect time for the weather. Very lucky. Puts me right in the perfect mood outside of the plane. That was beautiful. With all of our podcast guests, we asked you to recommend some things for us. Can you recommend us a Twitter account to follow? I would recommend Lou Don from DDS at Louis Don on Twitter. Very inspiring figure for all of us working on service design and trying to reform government. Not just talking about the discipline and how to make services better, which is very important conversation to have, but also on diversity and how to make government a better place to work in. I absolutely encourage everyone interested in this to follow. We are big fans of Blue Down here. Mm -hmm. Can you recommend us a podcast? I would recommend two. On design, I would recommend This is Human-Centered Design. Very good podcast inviting personalities from around the world to discuss design. And then something in Spanish, I want to recommend Chachara, which is an Argentinian podcast talking design, not just service, but also product industrial UX design in the Latin American context. If you're listening from that part of the world or want to learn Spanish, highly encourage that one as well. Great. Actually, last time I checked iTunes for our podcast, if you listen to One Team Gov, you are then recommended to listen to Human Centered Design. We share some commonality. <laughs> and how about the book? This one I've just finished. It's called The Power of Moments by Den and Chip Heath, which is neither in public sector nor design. But it's a book on how moments can be really powerful to influence people and to create change and how to design meaningful moments, not just from the point of view of people designing services to create a positive impact on people, but also on people trying to change public servants in government, how to inspire people, how to make them see things in a new way. It has a whole bunch of different ways of doing it. It was quite inspiring as a light read. And finally, a charity or social enterprise we could support. I don't know if you can support it, but you can definitely check what they're doing. A social enterprise called Greater Good Studio from the U.S. They're basically a design firm working with people trying to do good or companies or organizations with cool missions. I'm going to cheat here a little bit because I also want to pitch his founder as a Twitter account you should follow. Is George A. I listened to him last year at the Service Design Global Conference. He was having a conversation on power. And how do we, as people designing services, deal with the fact of power and our users and our clients? Along with the kind of things Louis mentioning, these are very important conversations we should have. It took us a long time for designers to be at the table where decisions are being made. And I think we have a responsibility of also bringing things related to ethics and powers and diversity into that table. That sounds really, really interesting. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Pablo. We've had some really, really interesting chats. 
My pleasure. It's good to be here. Thank you. What a wicked interview. What did you think, Kamala? Yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. It was so great to hear from someone who's lived in really different cities, Berlin to Buenos Aires. And I really liked what he said about how living in different cities and being around different people gives you really different perspectives and gives you empathy for different people. And I felt like there was a really one team gov flavor in that perspective. What did you think? Definitely. He mentioned about the work that he did in Berlin. The main objective was to think about how designers can work with other disciplines, which, as you said, is very one team gov. The other really lovely thing was when he was talking about having moved back to Argentina and we asked him why. And his explanation was that he'd always wanted to work in public sector and that it was an honour to be able to do that in his home country. And some of the projects that he was able to work on in the federal government had lots of themes about social relevance and tackling societal issues, which was really interesting. Yeah, I loved how when we asked him about some of the challenges that he's experienced, he talked about how a lot of the language of digital experience across the world doesn't actually really translate into the Argentinian perspective. And they often want to see examples from other countries in South America. And so he talked about how they needed to make their own narrative rather than importing discourse, which is a perspective I really don't think we've heard so far on the show. So that was great. What did you think about the other challenges he outlined? Not importing slang from the discipline and ways that service designers tend to talk about things. I imagine it's often easy for people who work in a single discipline and when you're attending lots of international events and you talk to people who are also in your sector to use a lot of shorthand when it comes to explaining the work that they do. And he gave that example of failure. And whilst we in a service design context often say it's okay to fail, we learn from failure, failure is good, we embrace failure. Talking about that in the Argentinian context is really unpalatable. People were having, quite rightly, the reaction of, you can't fail because these are people's lives. You can't mess that up. So I thought that was a really good reminder for us all to check the language that we use to be accurate and inclusive. Definitely. And related to that, I really liked what he was saying about not being a flying saucer, which I want to keep hold of and important to our context as well. He talked about how what will happen is you sort of fly in, try and make a change and then fly out like a flying saucer. And actually, really, you have to build these strong relationships with your partners, and with NGOs and with people on the ground in order to make sure that the changes that you are making stick and are there for the long term. You were saying that it sounds quite similar to the Canadian Digital Service. Yeah, there are quite a few similarities, actually, mainly the structure of things. He was explaining that they're at the centre of federal government. And in order to deliver things or get things done, they often have to go through that provincial level because it's at that level that things are able to be implemented and are closer to the end users. And we have the same here. Federal government in Canada has far fewer powers and ability to deliver than the provincial level, which from our background in the UK is not quite the same. For example, in Canada, driving licenses are administered at a provincial level. So every single province will have the equivalent of the driver's vehicle licensing agency that they have in the UK. So that was quite interesting. 
The other thing that was relevant was that they use a consultancy model where they're based at the middle of government and then they work with partner departments across that space to help them to deliver things. And we have a similar model here. And as ever, there are going to be pros and cons to that, because in a consultancy model, we are far more likely to be unintentionally that flying saucer. We don't have the domain knowledge, so we have to work really closely with the departments and the partners to make sure that we understand their context enough to help them deliver in the way that they need to. What did you think about the examples he gave around good and bad service design? I loved his answer to the question about bad service design, bad interfaces, because Full disclosure, I was expecting him to say Windows XP or something. He went to the example of immigration. And as someone who has traveled a lot recently, there is no feeling like being stopped by immigration and going up to that counter and them asking you questions, especially when traveling to countries like the States. I really, really like that example. And it made me think that it would be amazing if we could try and use some of the learnings from service design and put them into situations like that. What did you think? There was one word that he used, which is probably going to be my favorite takeaway from this interview. When he was talking about products that you can love and products that are kind to you, he said that the word they have, which kind of means both things amable. And in all of his work, he tries to be at least 5% playful brilliant concept. And I think it helps to keep us human to remember that products are not there just to complete a transaction, but to provide someone with an experience or an emotion or a feeling of reassurance. And the work that we do can help to achieve that. Another thing that really tied into the One Team Gov principles was diversity in the context of the International Design Conference. It was really good timing for us that the One Team Gov Global Conference was literally the day before the international design community came together. Pablo was saying that one of the topics he's most looking forward to was around how to make government a better place to work and be more diverse and inclusive. One of the things we hope we can achieve with the One Team Gov community. So that was great. And of course, like everyone, he was a brilliant fanboy of Lou Down. (laughs) Come on the show, Lou Down. And that's it from the One Team Gov show. If you enjoyed this episode, you can download, listen and subscribe through all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Blubbery, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Player FM, Overcast and Podbean. We're also available on Amazon Alexa. See you next time. See you next time.